You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 49. The idea is that you feel really well in a city that is easy to digest by your brain. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Hey everyone, it's uh, it's freaking cold out there. Oh my god, I'm trying not to go outside. It's not like in the suburbs where you just get in your car. This is the season of freeze. Nice to stay inside and record some podcasts today. Welcome to The Local Maximum. This is your host, Max Sklar. We cover technology news with a focus on software and machine learning, tutorials, analysis, and guests like you're going to get today. Let me know your thoughts at localmaxradio at gmail.com. I want to hear some suggestions for uh, guests and uh, and topics as we start to um, you know start to round out our lineup for 2019. Uh, so far this year, you know, Miriam when she gave her talk about uh, when when I spoke to her about her time at Google has been extremely um, extremely popular of a show. I think that was um, I think that was episode 45. Uh, that was uh, that got a lot of downloads. So uh, maybe we'll do more like that. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna dive into Microsoft with my guest next week, um, or in two weeks from now. Uh, today's guest Daniele, whose work really resonates with me. Uh, his research focuses on data science applied to cities. So it's called like urban data science, urban informatics. Uh, we're gonna talk about how his research moved away from focusing on efficiency towards exploration, because it turns out that always taking the shortest path isn't the best idea. In fact, it could be ruining your life. You're stuck in a local maximum. So we're going to talk about the importance of exploration, what makes a city neighborhood good, and what might make it not so good, and um, and, and, and the, the aspects of it that might not be measured by the usual stats that you're going to kind of get on Wikipedia, like the usual uh, demographic stats. No, he's talking about the smells, the sights, the how the imprint that the neighborhood makes on your mind. Really interesting stuff. Um, and Daniele is trying to measure some of the stuff. Good city life, life uh, goodcitylife.org is the place to go to find more about that. Daniele Quercia is the department head of social dynamics at Nokia Bell Labs, Cambridge in the UK, and professor of urban informatics at the Center for Urban Science and Progress at King's College, London. He has been named one of Fortune Magazine's 2014 Data All-Stars and spoke about happy maps at TED. He gave a TED Talk. Uh, you can find out more on him at localmaxradio.com slash 49. Lots of different things that he's done. Uh, he received his PhD from UC London. Let's bring him up. Daniela, welcome to the show. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Thank you, Max. Uh, thanks for having me. It's really great to have you. First, I just want to know, uh, first of all, I want to note how much your research fits into the theme of this podcast, because the title of the podcast is The Local Maximum, which is, and it's interesting, we haven't really talked about the idea of The Local Maximum on the podcast yet in like 49 episodes, but The Local Maximum has multiple meanings. Because the local part kind of relates to all the work that I've done on location and maps, and you do urban informatics. And the local maximum part suggests that our current algorithm has gotten us kind of stuck and we need to do some exploration to improve our understanding um, or improve our lives. And as I listened to your TED Talk from 2015, I realized, like, this is exactly what you are talking about. So uh, would you say that's accurate? 
Yeah, so I would say it's accurate, uh, but in a local maximum, <laughs> in the sense that uh, it's maximally accurate because that's exactly what we try to do. So we try to have a daily habit like walking and trying to give a totally different experience, right, to that daily habit. Um, right. So what, not the, the experience of a sheep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about um, some of the work you, you've done work on on people's daily habits. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, for example, um, I've done some work on the, the, the one that you mentioned, Happy Maps, is about uh, a mapping tool that instead of giving you the shortest path to walk from A to B, is going to give you the short path that makes you happier. So right, the idea right. is that current algorithms, they're stuck in efficiency, shortest path, whereas we can still offer a short path, but they give you a totally different experience that it makes you happy. So it is uh, yeah. maximally accurate in that because we depart from efficiency, but it's also locally accurate in the sense that we don't do only that, right? So we don't look only at uh, um, things that are going beyond efficiency. Generally, what we say is that uh, we try to analyze data to capture and quantify things that are very difficult to capture intangible things like happiness beauty um, uh, when people feel relaxed so generally perception and feelings that people might have in an environment in a given context so you like to look at things that are maybe some of the important things in life that are often not measured and that our I guess our applications, our, our data systems kind of ignore them because they only want, you know, what can be measured. Exactly. If you cannot measure, you cannot act upon. The problem is that uh, there are certain important things that uh, they are not measured, but we show there are different methodologies with which you can measure. At least you can have proxies of these measurements, right? Can you measure why yeah. a certain street makes people happy? Yes, you can. And there are methodologies to a certain extent to measure that. Uh, but the typical data analyst or the data uh, analytics researcher would say oh these dif these things are very difficult there is no ground truth so let's not measure it and the consequence right. of that is that uh, the vast majority of tools don't use those metrics because they are not measurable gotcha gotcha so um, back in 2015 you spoke about how your research interests have evolved from looking for efficiencies in other words you know I would call it doubling down on the current local maximum to taking a more human exploratory, and I would say fractal approach, and what I mean by that is kind of adding a little bit more randomness and surprise to your life. And so that's a pretty big change. I, I was even looking at some of your papers. There's like a very different from like what you're doing in the 2000s to what you're doing in the 2010s. Um, <laughs> yeah. Were there any like realizations or specific projects that led you to making that change? Well, so before starting the work, we actually had the paper title. So even before having the work, we had the fantastic title for it. So we just did the work. And the title was right. uh, uh, The Shortest Path to Happiness, right? So we had right. this fantastic title. Was so like, when, was, when was that paper? Oh, that was, uh, I don't know. It was like uh, the Happy Maps before it could be 2014, okay. but I might be wrong. Um, was that with your team at? Yes, um, Yahoo Labs. It was uh, Yahoo, when we Labs. Were Yahoo Labs. That was with one in Luca Boston. and Rossano. Uh, that was in, uh, in Barcelona. In, uh, in Barcelona. 
Yeah, that's right. And, nice um, <laughs> and then so we had this title, then we, we were thinking for a year, oh, what kind of work, what kind of work. And then the, the interesting thing is that I've done uh, for, for a few years back then, I was doing a percep- measuring perception at scale. So I was measuring, um, can we measure at scale why people feel happy in certain streets? So we did some games showing Google Street Views to people with pairwise comparison and trying to quantify beauty for a street view, right? And I thought, wow, okay, actually, um, these, uh, if you have this measurement of perceptions, you can, those are points on a map. So what do you do with points? You connect them. There you go. You have the shortest path to happiness. So basically, it was like connecting these two things that were unrelated before, and then all of a sudden, it make uh, a lot of sense to actually do that, right? Yeah, so what... What started? What got you guys interested in looking at the happiness of streets in the first place? Well, in the first place, I was very much interested uh, because my PhD is in computer science. So I used to do distributed trust management, uh, uh, machine learning. Back then, I was looking at uh, um, uh, semi-supervised learning, graph-based semi-supervised learning. So very hardcore stuff, right? Yeah. Um, but then after that, um, I did my postdoc at MIT at the urban planning department. Uh, and um, so I started to learn all these theories uh, that uh, are related to our cities. And then I thought, and then we were analyzing data, for example, call data records, uh, Foursquare data, and trying to understand how can we analyze awesome. this data to actually test these theories. And most of these theories were like doing a small scale experiments to measure perception. So what do you remember about a city? Uh, does it depend on a landmark? Does it depend on your personal experiences? Does it depend on collective experiences? So there are tons of theories that have been trying, uh, tried and tested on small scale experiments with undergrads. So I thought, wow, the big, and these theories come from the 70s. But now the difference is yeah. that we have the web. Right. So right, now right. we can actually test these theories, not with 90 minutes experiment, but a, which, a two minutes uh, experiment that with a platform that is a game. Right. For example, Gamify platform. So and that's what gets me interested. I said, wow, OK, I can test all these theories now at scale with data, but also to replicate these experiments in a playful way with the web. And yeah, that's so what, where we started. What's an example of a theory that's from... Well, it doesn't have to be from the '70s, but from the past yeah. that uh, you were able to to test now. Yeah. So, for example, uh, one theory was a Milgram uh, theory of the psychological maps that was related to some of the work that uh, an urban planner like Kevin Lynch did. And the idea was, uh, what do you remember? So, what's your mental map of New York or of, of London, right? So, you live in New York, and you say you remember certain parts of New York. That's your right. mental map, right? So, there is yes. a politically decided official map of New York, and that's the, and then there is a psychological map, and that's the map inside your head. Right. I think about all my favorite places and how they how to get there. Exactly. So there are the so how do you remember this map? So the theory would say, well, it depends on the urban forms and your personal experiences. So the urban forms does impact what you remember: the presence of landmarks, right, or uh, the type of streets, if the streets is sort of easy to remember or not. And all the theory was about uh, mental affordances. So the idea is that you feel really well in a city that is easy that is easy to digest. Um, by your brain. 
So easy is a really lightweight in terms of uh, cognitive effort. Whereas uh, a, a really bad city would, uh, would be one in which you get lost all the time, right? Because you cannot even right. memorize it, think about it. Right. Um, well, I, yeah. I used to live in uh, Stuyvesant Town here uh -huh. in, in New York. And the thing with Stuyvesant Town is it's a pretty good deal, but all of the buildings look exactly the same. And all the floors look exactly right. the same. So one time it was raining. I walked into the wrong <laughs> building. One time my cousin, who was my roommate at the time, he walked into the wrong floor and like banged on the door because he felt like he was being he was locked out of his own apartment. But then he was uh, <laughs> scared the crap out of someone. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think and since then, they kind of revamped that a little bit and made it look a little bit different from place to place. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. Exactly. So th there are things of the urban forms that actually impact the memorability of, of the city and your mental maps. And the idea is that also so urban forms has an impact on your well-being, right? Because if you can easily remember every single street of your city or the streets you experience, that's a good experience. But uh, right. if you get out from your door and every day you're in a maze, you just get lost all the time or is not a sort of a, a comforting experience, then that's the worst possible experience you can have, right? Well, so, what would, what would you yeah. say about something like, uh, well, maybe Boston I know a little bit about, but more like downtown New York where it's confusing to people at first. But then if you like live down there, you kind of have your landmarks and you kind of know um, you kind of get to know what you're, what you're doing. Like, would that be an example of a maze to you or would that be something, um, what, I, I'm, I'm trying to think like, what, what did I say there? Would that be, uh, maybe just comment on wh whether it's like downtown New York you're thinking of or, um, uh, so maybe Midtown the, is yeah. a maze because everything just looks the same. I don't know. So. Yeah, exactly. So, for example, if you have, uh, uh, I don't know, do, do you know sometimes, uh, do you go to Greenwich Village, for example? Uh, Greenwich Village, yeah, sure. Yeah, great. So that's an example of a part of New York that's easy to read by your brain, right? So um, you, you sort of can imagine it, right? And uh, can even distinguish different parts of Greenwich Village because it's quite unique, different parts, right? Right. Whereas there are certain parts in other parts of New York, they are sort of uh, all the same, as you said before. So it's not easy to navigate, not easy to remember. And the quantity of effort that goes in there is far higher, right? right? So there are different parts of New York to which you would respond in very different ways. So that's why, for example, in terms of prices, sort of house prices, they do reflect uh, the kind of desirability factor. Right. So that's an interesting, I mean, house prices is always given, I always use it as an example of something that you could build a, a statistical algorithm around, a machine learning algorithm around. But it just occurred to me that these features are ones that are usually not going to be present in the algorithm and differences in prices could reflect um, these types of, um, I don't want to say intangible because you're kind of making them tangible, but um, hitherto intangible features. Um, I, I wasn't going to ask this, but I, it just came to mind that like a name in this space from the 60s and 70s that a lot of people know is uh, Jane Jacobs, who wrote Life and yeah. Death of American Cities. How does that relate to your work at all? Uh, very much, right? So we actually wrote a paper. So her most famous, well, she used to live in Greenwich Village as well. And uh, her right. most famous work, as you said, is The Death and Life of uh, Great American Cities. We wrote uh, a paper a few years ago, uh, the, great, um, 
the death and life of great Italian cities. <laughs> Why? Because we analyze uh, call data records in six Italian cities, and we actually apply and test it for the first time, um, Jane Jacobs' theories. Because Jane Jacob would say, what creates urban vitality, which is life, right? And yeah. she said, oh, there are four dimensions, main dimensions that create vitality that are very static, and you can actually compute them on a map. So, and those are small blocks, because if you have small blocks, people are walking. Then uh, you have age buildings. Age buildings, she meant you have buildings of different ages. So you have the big, rich corporation moving in the neighborhood, or the cash trap. Uh, ONG moving there, or right, maybe you want to have both. diverse, exactly diversity yeah. of economic activities. Uh, then it was like you have mixed use, so that area is used 24 hours, so it's used for work, for residential, for clubbing. So it's 24 hours use, mixed use would predict that. And then it was enough density of people. Right. So if you have all these four properties, you can walk around, you have enough people, there is a mixed use of, uh, of, uh, of the hours, the economic diversity, that's a perfect neighborhood that will create vitality. And actually, we tested these theories in Italy, and to a, uh, to a great extent, I would say 74% of the variability in terms of occupancy of different neighborhoods measured in terms of uh, mobile call data records is predicted by the static features that Jane Jacob theorized to be connected to vitality. Wow, that is, that is pretty cool. Um... Okay, so I want to ask you about some of your current research projects. Uh, mapping towards a good city life is something that really stands out to me. You have an initiative that goes along with that that's uh, called uh, goodcitylife.org, which I would recommend everyone to go on because there's a lot of really cool maps there, uh, really fascinating maps. Uh, so why was goodcitylife.org created? So it was created out of frustration. And the frustration was it's most uh, things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So the frustration was about the smart city agenda, right? So when I started to work on cities, uh, uh, the big buzzwords, and it's still to a certain extent uh, still true nowadays, uh, but not so much uh, as it was before. Is the smart city stuff, right? So what is a smart city? Is a city in which when you go to work, you're always going to be on time. When you go shopping, there is no queue, and you feel safe because there are. CCTV cameras around you. So it's about efficiency and security. But I don't know anyone who would uh, actually be able to move in different cities in a country or across the world and would choose a city based on CCTV cameras or on convenience to go to work, right? So you choose a city because of opportunities, you choose because you feel comfortable, you choose because the people around you are, are compatible with you. So there are all these intangible properties, right? So what we yeah. did, since the smart city agenda was all about sensor actuators, efficiency, and blah, blah, blah. So we thought, why we don't build a, an orthogonal research agenda in future cities that actually tries to capture um, intangible properties, beauty, happiness, quietness, this kind of stuff, right? That actually are the dimension that people care the most about. And that's why we build Good City Life. So Good City Life is actually build, uh, bringing together people who are passionate about measuring the things that matter to people the most, uh, that go beyond uh, the efficiency agenda and the engineering agenda that is behind Smart City. Right. So if I look up you know, on Wikipedia or whatever, on um, 
uh, Fort Greene. That's where I live now, uh, Fort Greene, Brooklyn. Yep. I'm going to get stuff like density, crime, traffic, cost of living, um, maybe some demographic breakdowns. But like, I, it doesn't really say anything about what it's like to live or work in that neighborhood. And so, as you said, you work, uh, you look at things that are different. Like uh, I saw recognizability, visual, visual sm- style, um, smells, which we have a lot of here that are not necessarily so good. <laughs> and also, uh, you focus on positive sounds, which is interesting because a lot of people, uh, a lot of the work is focused on kind of noise pollution, but there are. Um, there are positive sounds. So let's let's actually talk about some of these. Um, I don't know if we have to go through all of them, but what did you learn about the importance of these particular features when it comes to neighborhood? We could start with what do you want to start with? Um, let's start with the sounds, the positive sounds. That sounds interesting. It sounds interesting. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> the, so the, the idea behind all these projects uh, is to capture sensory perceptions. So if you were to stand on a street, uh, how the street would smell, uh, or what, what would you hear? Also in a positive way, right? So Chatty Maps, okay. uh, the project on Good City Life, is all about uh, soundscape. So and the question is, can we actually map the entire soundscape of a city based on social media? And so we use uh, uh, geo-reference pictures, mainly from Flickr, but partly also from Instagram when it was accessible. And we actually look at all these uh, geo-reference picture tags and we take the ones that are related to sound. Now, you need to build a vocabulary and there is a methodology behind that to actually do that. But assuming that you have that, then you can actually map the entire soundscape. And then what you do is, uh, is this does it work or not? And you compare the soundscape generated from social media with uh, official uh, sound quality indicators, for example, like decibel level and other quality indicators. But the good thing is that uh, you go beyond that. Uh, apart from being uh, from working and being valid, um, this also the soundscape actually reflect the positive sides uh, of, of sound that you might have uh, in. Um, in a city. So the vast majority of work has been about, oh, here is noisy. What is the noise level? Whereas what we say is that actually, you actually also are able to map the positive part of the sound, nature sound, for example, human sound, um, all these sounds that are actually the the people like, and and there is no way to actually capture them, but now, or music sound, right? So now we are actually saying, well, actually you can capture them and you can celebrate them, or you can build technologies to celebrate them somehow. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's, and I assume it's the same thing with smells too. Exactly. I, exactly. The only uh, the, a lot of negative things. Um, I'm trying to think of something decent that I can talk about on the podcast. Like, I guess <laughs> what, the like the negative would be the smell of Chinatown when they're throwing away the fish and it's 105 degrees out. Um, <laughs> That's exactly but, uh, what they told us when we did a study of Epimaps in Boston. <laughs> That's yeah. one of the comments we got. And that's exactly yeah. why we started to look at smell, for example, and sound. But uh, I can be- see what you mean. Like there could be a bakery or... Uh, exactly, exactly. Uh, so one guy like said, uh, oh, I take this parallel road, which in terms of uh, walking time is uh, 15 seconds of difference. But I take this parallel road to go to the subway station because there is a bakery shop. And that's a trigger for me to actually wake up. Hmm. So is that a ritual embedding, have, um, embedding the everyday habit of this person 
that is using smell. So we use smell as well to remember stuff, right? So when we have, we, we build association, positive association with smells, for example. Um, there are certain things that bring us back to childhood uh, with smell. So smell is a very powerful thing, but it's not studied at all and is not even measured, right? So, and let alone is measured in the context of the city. So we wanted to fix that. And that's why we did it. And then we did another work to say, okay, what are the smells mentioned in this area that are positive and what, the, what are the motion words, right? Because you can actually also capture the motion words that people um, tag their pictures with and you can now study statistically how emotion co-car with smell, for example. And then something you couldn't do that before uh, without this kind of data. Right, so your data is using, um, well, where do you get the majority of your data for this? So the majority of this data, we got it from a public API, from Flickr, for example. So okay. Flickr, you can query, and then you can get all the data, the picture tags uh, right. that are public. Oh, well, you were at Yahoo. So you, you, did you yes, have access to, to that when the... you were at Yahoo Lab? Right. Okay. Oh, well, uh, Yahoo yeah, used to have access as well to um, uh, to not public available uh, data, but now everybody can uh, can actually query the API of, uh, of, of Flickr and can get access to that data and process that data. Yeah. So you've been a, I guess I would say a proponent of, uh, you know, saying, hey, uh, you know, taking the direct route to work or whatever it is you're doing versus maybe exploring a little bit, maybe uh, getting yourself an extra minute, but but having like a more pleasant ride is something that uh, is is probably a good trade off. One minute for one minute of your time versus, um, you know, versus a different experience in the morning or the afternoon. Do you have any um, thoughts or uh, or actually, have you uh, collected any data on whether that that helps people in the long run? Well, like, uh, I just feel like it does, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I mean, when we did uh, some uh, some of the user studies on uh, on Epi Maps, uh, we were giving tasks to people, and then uh, we gave them four different routes without telling them which one was which, but they yeah. could clearly distinguish which one was uh, more beautiful and happy, or which one was quieter. Uh, but they couldn't distinguish, for example, which one was uh, the beautiful one and the shortest one. So in terms mm. of walking time, the extra walking time is not perceivable, but yet the quality of the experience is uh, is uh, very much uh, perceived, right, by people. Um, right. So which they is interesting, right? Know. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. And actually, we do that, right? So we sort of do that. We take a parallel road, uh, and some, uh, surely, if you statistically analyze the mobility data of people, you might well see that people don't do the shortest path on a graph. They actually do the most pleasant path with, uh, because we tend to avoid things that uh, can upset us or they, they make uh, us sad, right? So we do yeah. that already, but the mapping tools are not doing that. And why they're not doing that? Because these things are not measured, right? So again, we we come to to the same problem. Then, to give you an exact uh, another example of, uh, on tangential uh, to, to, to tangible benefits is uh, not tangential but tangible is yeah. uh, if you were to run uh, on a trafficked road, um, you would do more harm than good. Why? 
because your uh, blood pressure is going up, your ability to absorb air pollution is far, far higher than if you were to walk. So mm-hmm. it's much worse that if you, if, if you run, if you don't run, right? So to build, for example, running up that uh, takes into account this sensory perception actually will give people um, um, a better health and a better quality of life. And it's tangible. Right, you can measure in the intake of air pollution that people would would have, for example, or the way they would feel. Yeah, yeah, no, I I feel like I feel intuitively. I can't. I don't have any. I don't have any data. I just feel like in my life there are too many things that are um, over uh, that are overemphasizing efficiency, and it's like it's like uh, you know drive me crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just to feel like I have a bunch yeah. of anecdotes like that. Um, so, uh, okay. In the future, what kind of maps or applications can be built with this data that uh, can improve people's day-to-day lives? Well, uh, for um, there, there are tons of uh, maps you can do. I mentioned the maps for runners that has got tangible uh, benefits on the health of people. Um, but uh, one of the most recent map we do we did is from ambience, right? So you can actually, for a neighborhood, uh, you can actually classify ambience, uh, whether a neighborhood is creative, beautiful, joyful, lively, cosmopolitan, stylish, um, based on the picture that people share. And we build models, machine learning models, that are actually able to classify uh, these different ambiences based on the picture people share in different neighborhoods. So those are qualities um, upon which people make decisions. They go to a certain neighborhood. They go to live there. They go to a bar to that neighborhood, right? Because the, so to build, for example, a Foursquare-like algorithm that would match people and places uh, along this ambience dimension is something that once you can quantify this ambience, uh, is actually something very useful, right? And or possibly yeah. is going to... Re- return in a better um, uh, acceptance of recommendation because you can also explain why you're you're not recommending always the same places but you're recommending you're diversifying uh, the recommendation uh, of of places uh, adding a bit of serendipity as well but well motivated uh, serendipity not randomness right so once you quantify these kind of things that are intangible that we try to quantify in good sea life uh, .org is uh, you can think about any daily habit and then our mission is to take any daily habits, whether it's to go from A to B, whether it's, uh, uh, we are doing a meeting or any daily habits and trying to make it more inspiring and entertaining. Right. Yeah. So once you can actually make a daily habit more inspiring, entertaining is actually something that is a huge contribution to people because you're contributing to the de- uh, daily life of people and you're building something that people would love and and is mimicking what they're actually are trying to do. And technologies at the moment are totally blind. Right. Um, yeah. To do. And, and, and that's what uh, actually um, the emergent field of human AI is trying to do. Right. So it's trying to say, can machine quantify emotion? Can they actually have perception that are personalized? Can they predict perception? Can actually influence perception as well of people? Right. And, and you can use it for good things and for bad things at the same time because it's agnostic to uh, technology, agnostic to being bad or good. It's just a use case that um, will impact that. So definitely we're going towards the direction uh, but um, I would say the technology is the moment especially machine learning and AI is uh, is a sort of uh, we are a prehistory so we are version zero yeah yeah 
Um, it reminds me of like the four square, one of the four square core values is like make it delightful and like this is ah exactly exactly yeah and uh, hopefully um, is uh, make it delightful something that it, uh, people do daily yeah yeah um yeah i feel like workplaces oftentimes become efficiency machines people are like well we're here to make money so gotta be and and then it it it, it sort of ends up becoming um i don't know un you end up making it unproductive in the long run because you get more, um, you know, if you just make your workplace very kind of boring and regimented and, um, and, and we have a lot of sameness, you're going to get a lot of turnover. I think you're, the employees are just going to be kind of not very creative. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think a lot of workplaces can sort of start to think in this direction. I don't have any specific uh, ideas so far, but... Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, what if you can measure creativity, right, in yeah. the workplace? What if, you, what if you can measure stress level or, or calmness uh, in a work environment? In the aggregate form, let's not think about privacy. Let, let's assume there is aggregate. Even aggregate, right. crude aggregate within a, a building or within um, a company is going to be very, very valuable, right? The, because for the first time, you can measure these things and you can act upon these things. Because at the, measure now, at the moment, we can measure only product productivity right and that right. is number of uh, of code lines or whatever that is right um the productivity metrics so that's why the optimization is going towards those things and not towards more meaningful things in the long term yeah yeah all right so i have this next question is like i have no idea how academic how uh, academia works so it could be a dumb question but like do you have to like pitch this research to anyone like donors or department committees and like how do you do you get buy-in do you ever receive pushback what do you um where does your work kind of fit in okay so i mean to be honest uh, nokia bell labs is a uh, is a research center within nokia right so that's uh, right. uh that, that's my sort of full-time job so in the sense uh we need to be contributing to uh to nokia partly and to nokia products with our research or part of our research right okay. and that is done through for example modern air quality or digital health we've done a lot of work on that and analyzing that kind of data um and then my sort of part-time job is being a professor at CASP, which is the Center of Urban Research uh, Science and Progress um, at in London at King's College. And there is an academic uh, uh, world which I joined. So in terms of academia, how academia works, um, so we do submit in both uh, Nokia Bell Labs and, and King's, we do submit our uh, uh, papers to peer review process, right? So how academia works, it works by consensus. So if you actually suggest and propose something that is very outrageous um, and and is very innovative as well, could be very innovative, um, there are chances that these things will not be accepted, right? So you, mm. will, you will need to have the right level of, of novelty and um, building upon the past. Uh, so generally, people say, oh, building upon the past is 80% of the work and 20% novelty. That strikes the right balance to go through a consensus process, which is a typical academic process. In terms yeah. of fundings, uh, again, it works like uh, the same as... Uh, uh, as um, 
is the peer review process, right? So you write grand proposals and you need to be careful to not be uh, too innovative, uh, but innovative enough to actually go through a consensus-based uh, process where different academics with different styles, with different opinions might see the value of the work uh, you are proposing. And then, of course, uh, other monies that might come from, uh, from the in- industrial world where you have specific problems, uh, they're well-defined problems, and, and, and then uh, the industry would finance PhDs to actually work on these specific problems, right, which are um, as well interesting and practical problems to work on. Right, right. So you're at, uh, you said you're at Bell Labs? Yes, in Cambridge, so, UK, and the Caspian right. Kings. Oh, so, so mixing those two things, um, yeah. having one step, one foot in either, are, does that kind of help you make this all happen? Is that uh, part of the part of the secret, or? Uh, I have no idea. I mean, I, I think uh, yeah, the the projects will look very differently, uh, very yeah. different in in the two contexts, right? So yeah, well, I ask because you know I have a lot of projects that I want to do, and I'm always <laughs> thinking like, well, what, how, how do you structure work um, in order to make the things that you want to happen happen? Is yeah. kind of an interesting question. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a uh, it's a mix, and then uh, depending on the project, if they are, uh, uh, for example, exploratory, then is a more academic thing. Whereas uh, with a big, more uh, well-defined problem, is everything goes more in the industry side. Um, so uh, yeah, it depends on the nature of the project, right? Um, yeah, yeah. All right. So this is the part of program where I'm going to ask you, where can we go to find out more about you and your work? goodcitylife.org <laughs> that's the place to go goodcitylife.org all right i will put that i'll write that down i'll put that on the show notes page daniela thanks for coming on the uh, on the show today to share your research um i happen to agree with you that a human element is missing from a lot of the efficiency plan systems so i'm glad you're bringing this to light thank you very much max and thanks for having me All right, that's a wrap. Uh, Next week, I'm going to have Aaron back on for a co-hosted show. Maybe we'll talk about some of the technology news uh, recently from the first part of the year, Uh, more of an informal show. And the week after, Avnish Kohli, the product manager on Foursquare Swarm. So we'll talk about life logging and building good products as always. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. The show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power. And she said, I don't care what you say, you're gonna say.